Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Worship at Hillhead. Whether you are sitting at the back in the room in the hotel, it's a thing of Baptists, isn't it? You say, please sit at the front, and everybody thinks that means that side. It's a bit like trains, I think, when you say the front train and the back train. Anyway, welcome to Worship, wherever you are, on site, online. It's good to be together as we seek to worship God and as we continue our series looking at a few chapters of John's Gospel. There are no specific notices to bring you this morning, but uh, we do hope those who are away are having a good time of rest and refreshment. And of course, if there is any news to bring you at any point, we will do so. And so we're now going to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day. that today both the prayers of approach and the prayers of intercession are going to be interactive and will include an invitation to eat grapes or other fruit that you may have to hand. So if you have something in the fruit or grape line, it would be good to have that to hand now. The psalmist writes, Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Blessed is the one who finds refuge in God. 
you're invited to take a grape and to eat it slowly. As you do so, try to notice both the feel and the flavour. Call to mind things that have been good in the last week, that have brought joy or given you energy, and offer that to God. The prophet Jeremiah writes, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. This rather strange saying reminds us that actions have consequences that can extend beyond ourselves and beyond our time. You're invited to take a grape and as you bite it, to notice, is it sweet or is it sour? Take a moment to think back over the last week and how your actions or inactions might affect or have affected others adversely and offer that to God. The prophet Amos writes, The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when the one who ploughs will catch up with the one who reaps, and the treader of grapes with the one who sows the seeds. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. My people shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. You're invited to take another grape and to savour its flavour and juiciness as you eat it. Take a moment to ponder this promise of God, the promise of peace and plenty, of joy and pleasure, safety and security. God, the gardener, who tends the earth and enables fruitfulness, we praise and thank you for all the ways that you bless us and for the trustworthy promises you make to us and to all creation. As we worship you this day, we ask for refreshment and renewal to enable us to step boldly into the days ahead. We make our prayer in the name of Jesus the true vine. Amen. We are invited to join together in the Lord's Prayer in our own preferred language and form. And today I will be leading in French. Notre Père qui est aux cieux, que ton nom soit sanctifié, que ton règne vienne. Que ta volonté soit faite sur la terre comme au ciel. Donne-nous aujourd'hui notre pain de ce jour. Pardonne-nous nos offenses, comme nous pardonnons aussi à ceux qui nous ont offensés. Et ne 
droit pas entre la tentation, mais de livre du mal. Quand c'est à toi l'appartement, le règne, la puissance et le gloire. Amen. So I kind of prepared this bit, hoping there might be some small people around, but there aren't. So that's fine. We'll just have to be young at heart. There's no running around, so don't worry. It's just answering things, saying things that come to mind. So in the Bible, we are sometimes led to believe that seven is the perfect number. There are lots of things that come in sevens. Seven days in a week. And at least since the discovery of the colour orange, seven colours in a rainbow. I guess for most of history, people thought there were six colours in a rainbow because red and orange were seen as the same colour. What other things can you think of in the Bible that come in sevens? And you've probably got some that I haven't thought of. 
Yeah. Well done, Katrina. Yep, the, f the fat cows and the thin cows in Pharaoh's dream. Wonderful. Brilliant. Thank you. Good start. Any other sevens anybody can think of? Seven deadly sins. Seven deadly sins. Okay. Mm, I don't think they're in the Bible, but that's a good one, Nancy. <laughs> well, at least they're not in the Bible as in they're not listed, I don't think, but that's a really good one. Yep. So she's far more spiritual and holy than I am. <laughs> Yeah, any other sevens you can think of in your Bible? Quite hard, but there, there are lots, actually. Seven How many, sorry? Seven days of creation. Seven days of creation, yep, exactly, that's one. Yep, definitely. Um, how many times did Joshua march around the city? And how many trumpeters were there? How many years did Jacob work for Rachel? Twice over. Seven pairs of ritually clean animals that were taken into the ark, and so on. Seven seems to be an important number. Okay, this is a slightly harder question, and it doesn't matter if you can't get it, and I'm not going to push it, so don't worry. Um, sometimes John's Gospel is said to contain seven signs that point to who Jesus is. These are miracles by other Gospels' language, but can you think of any of the the signs or gospels or events in the gospel of John that might be identified. I'll give you the first one to start you and then you'll be on your way. So the first one is the turning of water into wine at the wedding in Cana. <laughs> Anybody online want to join in? I mean, we've even got some theologians online. They really ought to know, haven't they? <laughs> They're being very quiet. Shall I tell you? Would that be better? So water into wine, healing of the nobleman's son, healing the lame man at the pool, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing of a man born blind and the raising of Lazarus. That is the seven signs or seven miracles are described in the Gospel of John. All the others that you know of really well are not in John's Gospel. Okay, we're getting there slowly, honestly. Um, in John's Gospel, there are seven sayings that Jesus uses to describe himself, the seven I am sayings. I am the. So can we get some of those? I am the bread of life. Brilliant. Thank you, Addy. I am the bread of life. That's the first one. Thank you. I am the vine. I am the vine. Yep. That's where we're going today. That's good. <laughs> good. Excellent. So what's the other, other five in between those two? That's the first one and the last one. So that's brilliant. <laughs> Anyone think of any? Yep, the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Jeff. That's number six. <laughs> I've got them written down, so that's the only reason I know the order. The light, of the world. light of the world. That's right. Yes, thank you, Nancy. That's the second one. But... Good shepherd. Thank you. Yep. Good shepherd. And also the gate for the sheep. There's two there. One more. Comes after the Lazarus story. Yes, the resurrection and the life. Well done. Yeah, so seven sayings, um, seven signs and seven sayings. Why did I pour that in? Well, because I kind of thought I had to put something interactive in. And we're going to talk about the vine, which is the seventh saying. That's about as far as that goes in terms of anything remotely spiritual. But well done for having a go at that. So we're going to sing a song now, which actually picks up those seven sayings. Thanks, Paul.
this morning is John 15 verses 1 to 17, not chapters. (laughs) I am the real vine and my father is the gardener. He breaks off every branch in me that does not bear fruit and he prunes every branch that does bear fruit so that it will be clean and bear more fruit. You have been made clean already by the teaching I have given you. Remain united to me, and I will remain united to you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It can do so only if it remains in the vine. In the same way, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will bear much fruit, for you can do nothing without me. Those who do not remain in me are thrown out like a branch and dry up. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire where they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you will ask for anything you wish and you shall have it. My Father's glory is shown by your bearing much fruit and in this way you become my disciples. I love you just as the Father loves me. Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My commandment is this, love one another just as I love you. The greatest love you can have for your friends is to give your life for them. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because servants do not know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because I have told you everything I heard from my father. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit, the kind of fruit that endures. And so the father will give you whatever you ask of him in my name. This, then, is what I command you. Love one another. So this is the second of our short series of services based on the so-called farewell discourses, which form the majority of John chapters 14 to 17. Those who were able to join with us last week will remember that we focused on the idea of a household with many dwelling places and reflected on that as an affirmation of diversity and inclusion within the household or family of God. And today we are turning to what is the last of the seven I am sayings, where Jesus refers to himself as the true vine and his followers as the branches, who are able to remain fruitful only so long as they remain connected to him. Jesus, in this saying, sees himself as the life source or the stem of the vine, whose roots go deep into the earth, the earth which I suggest is God's love and which draws in the essential nutrients to enable growth to occur. Many long years ago now, I did actually do a summer series of services on the I am sayings of Jesus. I was particularly asked to do that and, and I remember enjoying doing it. And I preached on this image. And it seems to be one of the few sermons that I've preached over the last 14 years that's lodged itself firmly in anybody's mind. I don't expect you to remember them, so don't worry. I don't expect you to remember what the sermons are any more than I expect you to remember what you had for breakfast. Um, there's a saying, isn't there, about a minister that worried that nobody remembered 
nobody remembered the, pre- the sermons that they preached, and it was remi- they were reminded that they don't remember the meals, but they know the meals were good and necessary. So anyway, this seems to have lodged in some people's memories. So if I'm saying things you remember from many moons ago, that's great, and you can tell me if I've said it the same or differently, and if it's completely new, that's fine too. So the first theme is around pruning. The opening part of the passage describes how the gardener tends the vine so that it can continue to fulfil its purpose of fulfilling grapes. Now, whether those are grapes for wine or grapes to be eaten, I don't think it matters. But once all the grapes have been gathered in at the end of the season, the gardener goes and looks at the vine closely, paying careful attention to each branch. If a branch has been fruitful, the gardener will prune it back. That's a process that seems remarkably harsh, cutting away leaves and wood. But doing so to allow the plant to rest and refresh itself during the winter months. But if there's been no fruit, if the leaves are shriveled up already or missing, or if the branch is obviously dead, the gardener cuts it off and uses it for firewood. When I preached on this several years ago, we were just moving into a season when a number of our week, midweek activities were drawing to a natural end, and we weren't quite clear yet what might come next. And I remember speaking about how the metaphor of pruning was a helpful one in that context, because the first thing it does is to acknowledge that what is now finishing has been fruitful, that it's been good, there has been a harvest. And it's really important to remember that, to name that, and to celebrate it. So as we look back over this year just finishing, or the last 14 years, or such part of it as that we have shared together, I wonder what are the things that have been good, not because I've done them, this is not me seeking affirmation, so please don't hear it as that way round, but what's been good that we've done together that we want to thank God for. Because there has been fruit. There are things to celebrate and be grateful for. You don't have to say that out loud, so don't worry. I also noted back then, and it's worth reminding ourselves of, that the process of pruning is hard. It even seems quite harsh that things that still seem green and lush may be stripped away. It takes courage to prune the vine, and it also takes confidence to know that the end will be worthwhile. But if God is the gardener, then it's God who exercises that courageous decision, and God who has the confidence that that newly pruned vine will not just survive, it will also thrive. There will be a new season of growth. There will be a new harvest. I guess for the vine, it's quite a nasty shock to be pruned, if if vines have feelings. But for the purposes of today, let's imagine that they do. I guess the vine would probably rather just let nature take its course that leaves and branches could shrivel and die right where they are. It's important to recognise that pruning can be painful 
at least the divine. And often it's not what we would choose. The vine doesn't get to choose or the rose bush doesn't get to choose whether it's pruned. But pruning in the long term enables it to be more able to produce fruit. And I guess for our church, this may feel like a season of unchosen, unwanted pruning. Much that we have held dear and has been fruitful has been or is being stripped away. Sometimes we have to look quite closely to spot the tiny buds and shoots that will form the new growth of a new season. So I'm just going to invite you just to take a couple of moments of quiet to think how this might be feeling like a season of pruning. What for each one of us feels like pruning at this time? And then to look for the hopeful signs. What are those tiny green shoots, the tiny little buds that suggest another season is just beginning? But actually, with the right nurture, there will be another season of fruitfulness and maybe even greater abundance. In this passage, Jesus speaks of God as a gardener who prunes the vine so it can continue to be fruitful. He also describes his followers as the branches whose very lives depend on remaining in him, whatever that actually means. The word that is used can be translated as abiding. Abide in me, he says. That carries at least two meanings. There is a sense of staying put, of not moving. And there's also a sense of being at home. I remember when I preached on this many, many years ago, a conversation that a lot of Scots in this part of of the country anyway, will say, where do you stay? To describe the place that they inhabit um, and where I come from. People will say, where do you live? And there is something about staying and living, about uh, remaining and thriving that go together. It's not so far off from that many-roomed dwelling place we thought about last week. There are lots of ways that we can imagine this image of the vine with its carefully tended branches. We can and I think I've already done that a little bit today, understand it as describing a local church community, that we as individual human beings are branches, perhaps in our own right, but also as a community, we are a branch that is grafted into the rootstock that is tended by God. But maybe the vine could refer, or we could imagine it to refer to the whole worldwide church where the branches could represent different traditions or different local churches, by hanging on in there, by abiding in Christ, the church in all its diversity doesn't just survive, but it can thrive 
as new generations of people find their true home in the household of God. It's a bit like some of those apple trees you see where somebody's grafted different kinds of apples onto one stock and you've got cooking apples and eating apples on the same tree. Perhaps that's a little bit like one way we can imagine the church as a vine. I think it is also helpful to see that this vine image allows us to recognise that whilst these branches can only thrive, whilst they remain firmly connected to the vine, it is also possible that they have a natural lifespan. With a real grapevine, none of the branches last forever. But as old ones do die off and are cut off, there is space for new ones to grow in their place. Often when we read that story, that parable really, if you like, we think of the old branches as being worthless and just burned up as if they have no matter. Some people might even interpret it as a hell image. I don't think that's helpful at all. But what about saying actually even in this last phase of their life, the branches have worth? If you burn them, you can keep warm. A fire to keep you warm. You could have a fire to cook over. You could mulch the branches so that actually the nutrients that remain there can be fed back into the soil to encourage new growth. It's a complicated image and I can't unpack it adequately or well enough. But there is something about staying where we are in the church in its broadest understanding and recognising that change is also part of that. So a church then, local and global, a church through time as the branches of the grape. But what does the fruit look like? What is the sign of fruitfulness that is witnessed in the lives of those who are the believers in Jesus? And it's a bit like those questions that you ask where the answer is always Jesus. You know, it's brown, it's got a furry tail, it sounds like a squirrel, but we all know the answer is Jesus. It's a bit like one of those questions. It's simple, but it's also challenging. The fruit to be seen in the lives of believers is love. Oh, you all know that, don't we? We all know the answer is Jesus and love. That's easy. But what does it mean? Because clearly Jesus isn't talking about romantic love based on physical attraction. And he's not talking about warm, fuzzy feelings. He's not talking about the love that we have because of blood or marriage relationships where at their best they are mutually um, supportive and thriving. He is talking about an ultimate kind of friendship that is sacrificial. Giving of one's best for the benefit of others with no conditions and no expectations that anything is going to be reciprocated or even appreciated. These words are often used on remembrance services and sometimes at the funerals of those who've died in the line of duty in the military or the emergency services. It speaks about love expressed as a willingness to die for others, even those you don't know and even those whose values may differ from your own. But I don't think it has to be understood as a literal death. 
any more than this is a story about a literal vine. I think it's about the attitude that allows our love to be open-handed and generous and personally costly because it goes beyond those we like. It goes beyond our nearest and dearest. It even goes beyond those who are part of our congregation and those who live next door to us. It extends to everybody we meet and potentially to those we will never meet. Jesus tells his followers elsewhere they should love their enemies and pray for their persecutors. This love is to be expended for all. And I have spoken on that at other times, but we don't have time to go there today. It just came into my mind, so I said it. But in this season, as the branches are pruned, things come to an end. As new buds and new shoots begin to appear, new things are beginning. What might it mean for us to cultivate this kind of love? Let's just again take a few moments of quiet to begin to think how we individually might answer that question. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you now, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this will all people know you and my friends, that you love one another as I have loved you.
Our prayers of intercession this morning are also going to involve opportunities to eat some grapes or other fruit if you have those to hand. If you happen to have eaten them all, there are probably some more outside the door, so feel free to go and grab another tub because I really don't want to be taking them home again. As we prepare to bring our prayers of intercession, let's hear again the words of the prophet Amos. The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when the one who ploughs will catch up with the one who reaps and the treader of grapes with the one who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. My people shall plant vineyards and drink their wine They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. You're invited to take a grape, to savour its flavour and juiciness. And as you enjoy it, take a moment to ponder this promise of God, who hears the prayers we offer now. This week, BMS asked us to focus our prayers on North Korea, where tentative connections have been formed over many years of careful, prayerful and practical work. They write this. Two and a half years since the closure of North Korea's borders, news from the country is still sparse and often negative. There is a possibility that the China-Korea borders could open again in 2023. We pray that this will herald the opening of people's hearts to the gospel, despite the risk of severe hardship for those who believe. You're invited to take a grape, and as you enjoy it, pray for the work of BMS seeking to share the good news of God's goodness and God's love in challenging contexts. As each week, the Baptist Union of Scotland invite us to focus on a selection of congregations. And this week, they choose Hillview Community Church in Aberdeen, Hopeman Baptist Church, Inverkeething Baptist Church, and Inverness Baptist Church. Again, we're invited to take a grape and, as we enjoy it, to pray for the work of these sister churches, other branches in the vine connected to the rootstock that is Christ, and asking that in whatever season they find themselves, they will know God's mercy, love, and grace. From our Hillhead Baptist Church diary, we name before God the Coffee Club, Brian, Lizzie and Petrie, Paul P and Mary P, Ed P. Grace and Will, Nancy, Jean R, Sylvia and Norman. 
as we take another grape and as we enjoy it, we pray for these siblings in Christ, each of them part of the one true vine, sharing in the service of Christ in this local church community. Help us to love and cherish each of them and to celebrate the fruit of your grace and love glimpsed in them. Lastly, we pray for ourselves, taking a few moments of quiet to reflect on our own stories, to think about the seasons in which we find ourselves and that the work God is doing in us and with us. So take one more grape. And as you hopefully enjoy it, be reassured that God's promises are trustworthy and true and that God is present with you in every moment. God, the gardener, who tends the earth and enables fruitfulness, we praise and thank you for all the ways that you bless us and for the trustworthy promises you make to us and to all creation. We offer our prayers for others, for each other, and for ourselves, and ask that you help us to live the answers in the days ahead. For we make our prayer in the name of Jesus, the true vine. Amen.
God present with us in the whole of life, in seed time and in harvest time, in sunshine and in storms. Bless us, we pray, with the assurance of your faithful accompaniment today and always. Amen. <laughs>